Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to a very special episode of Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards never agreed to. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have my co-hosts, Ben Kahn and Emily Martin, and we have an extraordinary privilege to get a sneak peek of the new Peacock original series launching from Crypt TV, The Girl in the Woods. It's exciting, it's supernatural, and it's full of teens fighting a variety of supernatural monsters, but maybe even more exciting to us. It's a horror-based show that deals with gender, sexuality, class, race, disability, and mental health. It's our whole gambit of things. So when we had the opportunity to interview some of the people involved in making it, we couldn't pass up the chance. So with us today, we have Misha Osherovich and Jasmine Johnson. Misha plays Nolan, one of the three leads of the show, but we were already huge fans of theirs and gushing over them from their performance in Freaky, which we reviewed just a few months ago. Welcome to the show, Misha. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, that's so kind. Thanks. And also Jasmine Johnson is a co-executive producer on the show who works with Crypt TV and was dedicated to bringing authenticity to the portrayal of LGBTQIA plus and people of color in the show. So Jasmine, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about our show. It's so special and I'm so glad that you guys have seen it and we get to discuss it with folks who've seen it that aren't just ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sick of talking to the same folks and about this show. I'm ready to talk to some new people about it. Seen it and we love it. For the show because <laughs> we watch a lot of horror uh-huh. and the tiniest fraction deals with these issues and all of these issues and deals it so deftly and so authentically and so meaningfully. So thank you for the show. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you guys for your for your kind words. Yeah, you know, it's a I think people are starting to think more about how do we make sure that we have uh, all kinds of people represented. It's slow going, but it's happening. Nolan is very much the character I wish I had been able to see as a kid. Yay. I mean, that's that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I think after, you know, we we spent last night trying to uh, dig for any sort of progressive or queer content in Saw. So this was a huge relief for us. Sure. I mean, everybody loves a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) So before we jump too far into this, Jasmine, we've all seen, like you said, the first five issues at this point, but our audience may not have. Can you uh, give us sort of the the elevator pitch for The Girl in the Woods? Oh, yes, uh, for sure. The Girl in the Woods uh, follows our badass monster fighter whose name is Carrie Ecker. And Carrie lives in the outskirts of the woods of this small American mining town. Um, And she is a part of this colony whose main job is to protect the world from this door in the woods. And this door is very mysterious and very spooky because it is a door to a monster dimension. The number one goal being, don't open the door, don't let the monsters out. So what's gonna happen? This is the show, guys. The door's gonna open, monsters are gonna come out. (laughs) So Carrie is going to eventually make her way into this mining town and make new friends in the form of Tasha and Nolan. And together they will have to team up to fight these monsters and hopefully save their town. But you will have to watch the show to find out if they are successful or not. And we yeah. can't spoil it because we haven't seen all of it. <laughs> we've seen enough and of it. And you guys don't know. You, yeah, don't, so you also have to we'll watch the show. We're also hooked. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we were saying uh, where we left off at the end of issue five is like a big sort of cliffhanger. So we're, we're all very anxious to see what happens uh, from this point on. Now, uh, uh, and- Jasmine, you've you've been with this project for quite a while. What what is it that uh, has sort of driven you to bring this? I guess first to you know Crypt TV and then to this to this bigger platform with Peacock. Yeah, I think that for me, you guys all seem like very intense horror fans, and not that I'm not. It's just that I came to horror from a different framework and from a different perspective. So for me, whenever I'm looking for like, what is it that makes me excited about something? It usually has to do with like 
the themes first and foremost. Like, is this something, is this thematic wise, something that I feel like uh, would resonate with people who are not just into horror, but uh, just into sort of exploring whatever the issue is uh, in and of itself. And then does whatever I'm hearing, whatever pitch does that service, whatever the larger theme is. And so it's something like Door in the Woods, which was the original short I worked on. It was actually one of the first, the first short, um, the first short that I brought into Crypt. I had been working at Crypt for maybe a couple of months. And I was just really drawn to um, the simplicity, and simplicity is not a bad word, but the simplicity in the themes. Uh, the sort of quick pitch of Door in the Woods was there's a door in the woods. And the, this group of kids is told not to open the door. So they do, because <laughs> that's what you do. And then uh, the, the results of that are completely and totally disastrous. And something like that to me, like I said, seems simple, but it's an idea and a concept that everybody can understand. Plus, when when you add the monsters and the colony and the world building, it's just, uh, it's really cool and and larger than what I think even the short sort of came out to be, which is great. I think that some of the best material sort of expands outside of what it is that you actually saw on screen. And it really sort of uh, resonated with the audiences and from there was able to build on with the sequel just even bigger themes. And then with obviously a television show where we have eight episodes, we have half an hour in each episode to go even bigger, even bolder with our characters, with our themes, with our creatures. So I just think that this was just the uh, sort of rare short um, that initially was brought in by a, a filmmaker named Joey Green that just really had legs and allowed us to do some fantastic stuff with it. It's, it's fascinating to me because the, that prop of the door and the way that, you know, you see even early on, you see somebody walk through it and then you see the, uh, like it pans around to the other side and there's nothing there is such a like hook that it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, what, what is that? Where does that go? Mm -hmm. But then like you guys have, have managed to build so much interesting stuff with the characters on top of that, um, just by, I think, taking that that hook that's like so easy to get but also gives so many questions it gave you guys so much space to do really interesting things and and build characters who like we I, I can tell you from watching the first five episodes we all deeply are invested in now absolutely <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I love how character driven the show is it harkens back to the kind of shows as a young as a young adult and as a teen I would have loved to see that actually goes the places that perhaps some of the like the young adult novels that you have in there's so many young adult novels that have so much more representation but whenever a lot of them get adapted they lose a lot of teeth they lose a lot of uh, representation and things like that and this show doesn't lose that it keeps steady with that and it makes it just a delight to watch these characters and the world itself is very straightforward in terms of its mysteries and its conflicts. It has kind of this Lord of the Rings vibe to it with the magic and the adventure, but also very, very real, very intense character stories that are very relatable. Not a lot of shows do that. I dare say none that I've seen in the last maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to even pause longer than like two seconds, it's been too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With that in mind, how did you kind of approach balancing the character development with the world building and the horror aspects of it? I said this before, and I really, really feel this hardcore when it comes to developing genre content. It is and people may disagree with me when I say this, it is not first off about the genre element of the show. Like that's not what it is. First, you need to be talking about what it is that you're trying to say. What are your characters gonna be going through? What are your larger themes? What are the questions you want the audience to be asking each other when they're watching uh, your episodes of television? And then um, from there, you can start to conceive and sort of, I don't want to say back in, but kind of back in like, what are the creatures? What's the world and all that that feels best fitted for what you're trying to say. Now, obviously, sometimes you may have like a brilliant idea for just like this monster that we've never heard of before. And that's totally fine. There's no right or wrong way to come into like a horror idea. It's just if you do that, then you really need to take the time to think about like, what uh, are you trying to say with this monster that you've created or even this larger world that you've created? 
because I think for me, one of my toughest things to that that I encounter, it's not the toughest, but it certainly is like the most frustrating is when I read a great sample that has like a really cool character, a really cool monster, like a really cool world, but it feels empty because that person didn't stop to think about what they were trying to say with like this really cool idea they came up with. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, I say frustrating because it's like a good idea gone to waste is the way that I kind of feel about that. So I challenge those who work in horror, specifically behind the scenes, the writers who are coming up with the brilliant ideas, just to make sure that when your idea is that you feel like it's so new and, and fresh, that you want to make sure that you're also saying something new and fresh with the themes and not just like focused on this cool monster with like 17 eyes and three heads that you've come up with that we haven't seen because it's, it, it's important. I find that genre is a really great place to explore s- certain themes because you have some archetypes that are going to be there in the storytelling, but you have those the room to play with characters. In this case, it's a really great way for new audiences to, to find the representation that they're looking for because they already have a genre story that they can understand with cool ideas, with cool uh, designs, but also really, really just wonderful characters. Yeah. And speaking of representation, uh, Misha, could you tell us a little bit about bringing Nolan to life and getting to bring such authentic non-binary representation to screen? Like there were definitely some scenes that really hit me really hard. Yeah. I I mean, look, I, I always credit kind of the from start to finish crypt with um, the, the audition process and the rewrites of the script as we continue to work in development all the way into production. Um, our amazing trans showrunner Casey like it's we I I was gifted with a team that was so invested in making this not just authentic but like kind of boots on the ground authentic like what would a teenager during this period in their life struggling with gender identity feel do listen to like Jasmine and I were talking about like what memes would this character (laughs) be looking at I I love that moment when there's when they're scrolling on reddit yeah yeah no it's it's, no it's it feels it it was in the best way easy because I got to equal parts draw from my experience struggling with gender identity and coming to my non-binariness and then have a team that was so ready to have the conversation. So it's un- it's you know it's sad to say that it's unusual, but mm-hmm. it was unusual and it was a gift to have the this entire welcoming family of a set that was ready to bring this character to life in such a kind of organic way. It's a tiny moment, but the moment that is a moment when uh, Nolan's mother is imagining her perfect family and it's Nolan, the hair tied out and a polo shirt and khakis. And it was very painful in a how relatable it was, but also just to be tackling how even a loving parent can be misguidedly just hurting their child and making them feel like smaller than when they should be making helping them be as much as they can be. Absolutely. I think that honestly does come from again a queer perspective with our writer like it. I've always believed that ever obviously every human experience is nuanced and I think queerness part of the reason that we as queer people so deeply want to see representation on screen it's not just for the big flashy sometimes unfortunately tokenized roles that you know win an award or get lauded by the community at large in Hollywood for like oh a queer person finally taking on this role it's the small moments it's the memes it's the moment with the mom and the polo like those are moments that I think really hit people the hardest because they see themselves and they get a small moment to say, oh, that's happened to me too. So the fact that that's so deeply baked into our show, it it means certainly the world to me as an artist, but also as a viewer, it means the world to me. So I'm glad that that came across. From the very introduction, when they put on their makeup and then immediately take it off, like I've heard up just being like, oh, I've never seen that. I I relate so hard that I've never had my experience with that just so immediately reflected. Like I I need to be paying attention to everything in this show. Holy, holy cow. Yeah, no, that I mean, that's that's. That's incredible to hear. That's that was always the goal with Nolan, from what I understand, and it's certainly always been my goal with them when it comes to playing them. So that's that's magical to hear that that, that read. It really is. Speaking of sort of like the small moments and the nuance of it, there's this scene in episode five that like really struck me uh, when Nolan is talking to their dad, and the dad seems like 
sort of, you know, late millennial Gen X age and is very like, seems open to the idea of having a gay son. But the moment that like, they bring up the idea of gender, like the dad laughs at it. And it's really like, it's an interestingly like nuanced scene of like, it's not the thing you see in, you know, 80% of movies about coming out where the parents are like, oh, I, I hate, I hate it. I can't stand it. Can't you just be normal? It's just like, oh, come on, this is silly. And like, that's, you know, just as painful in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I am, wow, I'm really sorry, y'all. I did not, it's like the randomest moment to get emotional too. I didn't mean to. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I really loved that scene in particular. That scene meant a lot to me, quite frankly, even more than some more of the bombastic sort of emotional, whether it be with demon stuff or non-binary stuff or anything in the, in the series, because one, it's always so, I get such like a, a artistic heart on when people are able to approach difficult um, conversations in art with comedy, because there's a good amount of comedy in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but you're absolutely right that right now, the conversation isn't about um, usual, I mean, we, what we're experiencing, it's not about oh, my son is gay and therefore I'm mad. It's, you're right that that's incredibly reductive, especially in the place that we are in 2021. Mm-hmm. But what's going on there is almost more hurtful because the parent is trying to be supportive and trying to show their child that they're there for them. But gender is a step too far. And that can be incredibly painful for a child. So that's amazing that that hit. And that oh. those, those scenes mean the world to me. It ab- oh, it absolutely communicated that that nuanced pain of someone who you know is trying to be supportive, but is just supportive, but not understanding. Just don't get it. And just the unique pain of that. Well, you said it's not full on rejection. It's, and it's not as bombastic a pain, but it's still just being so minimalized in your identity in a way that's so almost like quietly painful. I'm getting yeah. a little emotional too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it was so powerful. And yeah, I mean, everything that you've said about the nuance and the gravity of that situation really, really came across so much. Yeah, that I I got emotional. And, uh, you know, I've been in that situation where people just don't understand and there's no real way for you to to explain it. And it's, it's a really, really important subject, especially as younger people are finding more and more about themselves about their identities and trying to communicate that. And I'm hoping that a lot of people see it because I think a lot of kids would actually really benefit from seeing the sequence. I hope everything is okay with Nolan. <laughs> I hope Nolan's okay. You gotta, you gotta yeah. watch. I know, show. we gotta watch. Gotta but, watch. Um, no. While there's nothing light about the ending of episode five, for our purposes to shift to a lighter gear, uh, love triangles, yes, or oh, as we started calling it, the lo- love pyramid with Tasha at the top. The sacred yeah. love geometry of that. <laughs> um, what was it? Because like I've seen so many teen dramas where the love triangle is just like my, it's where my brain shuts off. And here, I just love all three of them so much. Like, how did you? Again, like what was kind of the thought process going into that, just making it so so, so fresh and lively and and enjoyable and element? Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, why does your brain usually shut off? Because I think it's important to talk about that first, and then mm-hmm. talk about like why this feels so. so well, I think it's and- usually because at least some part of the love triangle, the emotional connection doesn't feel real. In mm-hmm. this one, it's very simple. Like the emotional connections between all three of them feel so real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's about uh, all three of those characters loving who each who they each are just at their core as people and not, not thinking about the the queerness of it all which I have to say our main the main character of Carrie she is in multiple not to spoil it <laughs> multiple relationships with right. yeah. <laughs> also go Carrie I'm here for it and I want to see it on screen um and I don't want her to apologize for it because yes. you always yeah. see this when it comes to like straight guys in particular 
and we don't allow women, especially, and then our queer women to kind of <laughs> do some of these things. I love Carrie as a character. She's fantastic. She's our hero. But she does get in relationships with uh, a couple of different women. I'm not spoiling too much, um, but something <laughs> that... I truly loved about seeing uh, this and Casey, our head writer's take on this was one, Carrie comes from a colony that doesn't, uh, that's not a thing to them. It, it, it's, uh, being lesbian or, or pan or bi or non-binary or whatever, that <laughs> doesn't exist. So when <laughs> Carrie comes into this world, she is who she is, she likes who she likes, she never mentions any, she never has any hangups. Uh, there's someone from her past that she also wants to be with. She goes after that person and it's not an issue for her. And growing up, especially when I was in high school and sort of first having the the feelings of like, wait, do am I having a crush on um, a girl? And then when I got to college and met my now girlfriend being like, whoa, I am really, really, well, like it's it's definitely official. I have a thing for women. Um, but at mm. the time I wasn't really seeing that a whole lot. And when you did see it on television, it was like controversial episode where, you know, these two characters are now revealed to be queer. And when you hear that word controversial associated with something that is like at your core, we all, I mean, we, we, it's what we've been talking about this whole time. So what I love about the, to make a long story short, what I love about this triangle is that it's just people loving people. It really is. Um, and obviously we do have uh, a character that in the midst of that is going through their own sort of identity crisis. It is unbeknownst to uh, at least one of the other characters for a period of time. But at the core of that, it really is just people falling in love with each other and who they are. Uh, and I think that's really important to see on screen and not make such a big deal out of it. I don't want the word controversial associated with this anymore. No, it's absolutely. Yes, delightful. Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just for real. I love just the uniqueness of a love triangle where it seems like every line is pointing in both, every arrow is pointing in both directions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really appreciate it. I feel like the first time we get flashbacks to the colony stuff, and we see, you know, Carrie with her previous girlfriend, we we get sort of that very close to the scene of them both being beaten. And I was like, oh, no, it's a it's a, that kind of thing. And by by the end of the first couple episodes, I was like, oh, no, it's just that they're in a cult where they have to, like, be be trained to be hardened warriors. It's not that they, you know, are beating them because they're together. In fact, everybody kind of seems to be cool with that. Yeah. It's so interesting yeah. that that's where your brain would go, which is also another problem with what we oftentimes see on television that you see two queer characters and you're like, oh, they must be getting... Uh, absolutely uh, rioted on because of mm -hmm. their queerness when, uh, no, it's because they you gotta be tough, you're fighting monsters. You know, as, as, <laughs> as one does. As, as, as one does. does. <laughs> the beatings are just because it's Thursday, has nothing to do with your orientation. I mean, we're in 2021, we've been through 2020, we've all taken some kind of beating, no matter what. Real, yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, and That's speaking of, you, know, you talked a lot about your your own experience, Jasmine, and I wanted to talk a little bit to you about Tasha, who uh, I think, you know, Sophia Bryant is great. Um, so and good. having this like so character who's not only sort of at the center of all these love triangles, but who like everybody seems to be in love with from the time they see her, that she has so much more to do than like most black women in horror movies, like you know, we covered the craft on here. Rachel True's mm -hmm. job is to ask people if they're okay. Um, <laughs> ask the white women if they're okay. That's what she does. Um, I know this is a podcast, but I'm turning red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she. we, we, we talked about uh, horror noir, which she's in, like, talking about, you know, her, her roles of being a Black woman in horror. And she's like, I don't know how many different ways I've had to say are you okay <laughs> like to, to various other people that I'm on screen with? And like, yeah. that's, she is so, Tasha is so much the like person driving the action in a lot of this story. 
that I, I thought was a welcome breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, me, me too. Um, Tasha as a character is such a ray of light. And Sophia, who plays her, is also just magnetic. Um, and I think angel, brings... actual angel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, can so feel much. That, I feel like there's so many of these movies and shows where like everybody on the show is telling you that this person in the middle is like magnetic and great and everybody loves them. But then like every time she's on screen, I'm like, oh, no, I get it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, can I ask who came up with the line about how she was a sexy church? Is that in the script? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was a good line. That was such a good line. I wrote that that down. That had to be Casey. That absolutely had to be Casey. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I do that have has to Casey say, written all over it. <laughs> as a fan of Hero Season 1 and just Hero Season 1, I let out yeah. a yeah. squeal of surprise delight when Leonard Roberts Leonard shot like right <laughs> also also just like Buffy. Like I'm like yeah. as a Buffy human, like he walked on set, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> yes Leonard we uh uh for Leonard's audition for whatever reason I was the only producer that uh, could be a part of it and Leonard jumped on I think maybe he was like the first or second and I just had like this reaction where uh and I kept it professional but was like oh my god like I'm a really big fan of this guy <laughs> and then you know having to give notes in between I'm like how am I supposed to give notes to Leonard Roberts he's fantastic he is so good in this show. I will say from the table read, we did a table read maybe like a couple of days before we were supposed to shoot. And Leonard, we were all on Zoom and Leonard was cracking us up. He brought so much humor and heart. And a lot of this was on the page, but like just took it the extra like 40%. And I absolutely love Khalil and Leonard and Sophia had great chemistry and would just like feed off of each other and do like little ad libby moments that just really come through. And I, uh, I love them. Um, speaking as a black woman, I love that seeing that black family on screen because I just think it's they're just fantastic. And I was definitely hungry for pancakes after seeing. Oh my god! <laughs> oh god! The amount of food that that family lovingly eats. I'm telling you that, like on set, I go to Crafty after their scenes. Because like I lit like where where the food is on set. Because like I literally I literally they talk about food so lovingly. Like I guess I'm gonna go get some fucking snacks right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult watching uh, all of them. There's a scene where they're like eating burgers and and it's it was like the end of a 12 hour day and you just smell like the fries and the burgers that the uh, <laughs> you know the props department has made and they're just shoving their faces. It's actually not. Uh, so fun. Misha will tell you about their experience uh, downing ketchup and mustard. It's not fun yeah. for the actors to have <laughs> yeah. to eat all that food, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't highly recommend shooting like rockets of ketchup and mustard in your mouth. <laughs> now that I've done it, yeah. <laughs> that's dedication. We appreciate the dedication. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. So Misha, uh, you know, having done freaky and having done this just uh before having done these were you uh, a fan of horror beforehand or did you kind of come into it through the work um i i've had to say this quite a few times and i genuinely am starting to, it's it's crystallizing just how true it is for me i it was so baptism by fire for me like i i grew up not only really sheltered and really like not allowed to watch pretty much anything much less horror but like i i got thrown into freaky having not knowing the world of horror so i actually got really lucky in that you know freaky was also made by two queer filmmakers uh chris landon and michael kennedy and then you know having girl in the woods as well like i've been kind of welcomed with open arms into the queer horror hollywood community and i gotta tell you that even i'm new to la and moving here like it's been such a blessing because not only am i learning about films and like watching the whole library of horror that comes before me but i love that this is a genre that inspires something even as simple as like a podcast like this where we're talking about it right this is this is a genre that so many people see themselves in queer people who are naturally in the other see themselves in monsters and vampires and all that kind of stuff not because of the negative connotation but because of celebrating the power of being 
being in the other. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's something that I've learned as like a, a student of horror now being steeped in the horror world. So I wasn't a horror fan before this, but now from the inside out, I've kind of become one, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. That was pretty much how I ended up just watching all these horror movies was we started this podcast. So I had to watch a whole bunch of horror movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think no, it's it, it an interesting thing for us that I think there is both a perception and a real sort of, there is definitely a very broy horror community out there that is not welcoming to women, that is not welcoming to people of color, or queer people. But like, I think there are a lot of us that like are interested in those topics that want to see that stuff reflected, that have, have sort of found themselves in this, you know, horror space that uh, want to want to share this space. And I think, you know, it's it's my hope that not only podcasts, but, you know, thing, things like your show will like give people a space to, you know, come together and, and talk about this kind of stuff is not just a not just a thing that's for <laughs> creepy straight white guys, you know? Well, I, I think also I would... <laughs> I, I, real. I would be so bold. <laughs> I would be so bold as to make the argument that uh, said creepy straight white guys again, no shade to anybody, but kind of shade. And that, like, I don't think then they understand horror. In my opinion, horror is inherently queer because horror is about mm-hmm. stories that exist outside of societal norms, whether that be mm-hmm. monsters, demons, vampires, psychological, mental health. Um, Horror is based on our deepest, darkest fears, traumas, and being othered. And that is a space that queer people know inherently well. So if there's a, you know, if there's a horror bro out there that says that he only likes horror for um, violence or something or whatever it is that excludes women, excludes queer people, excludes people of color, I don't think they understand the genre. That's my mm-hmm. hot take on that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're recording this I'll on the day that. that it's been announced that a trans woman is playing pinhead in the reboot of, of I know uh, so That's like so yeah. there's definitely people online that are really reacting to this in a way as if they've never heard of Clive Barker and yeah how <laughs> right insanely queer everything <laughs> Clive Barker does is yeah. I yeah. do want to ask though in terms of horror being something that reflects societal fears uh there is you know beyond the fears of all the demons there is that fear with both the mind closure, the fears of what it's doing, of what keeping the mind open is doing to the town, the fears of what closing it would do to the town. How did you kind of approach like those very like kind of this town and how you approach both like the class and the environmental themes where they're in? You know, that was all baked into Casey's pitch I mean the the show is so so well-rounded we're obviously here talking quite a bit about um the queer representation in the show but I truly feel like there is something here that can speak to a struggle that everyone has gone through you can watch the show and see yourself reflected while you also can see the reflection of what someone else has gone through and hopefully in watching those two things together people can start having conversations and maybe conversations that they wouldn't uh, have had had they not both uh, seen themselves represented on screen, seen someone else represented that maybe represents a perspective that sometimes they maybe didn't even bother to take the time to uh, learn about and then finally start having conversations. It was important for Crypt. It's important to Peacock. It was important as we were trying to figure out what was the best take for the show to make sure that we had certain themes and and things that we wanted to hit. uh, And just to make sure that those themes weren't so singular because we're, we're all in this world and we're all going through something. And I think the world would be a heck of a lot better place if we all just sort of stopped to learn a little bit about each other and have conversations. So hopefully the show will be able to allow people to do that and also have fun <laughs> while they're watching Monsters and you know our trio and stuff like that. So here's hoping. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's incredible the way that deals with this sort of stratification of class where you have you know uh, Nolan's family who's a little bit better off and then you have sort of the very blue collar grouping of the show. And then mm-hmm. you know below that even you have the colony which is viewed negatively by even you know the the blue collar people in the town in which you know it is it is revealed to us as much as there are definite problems in that that colony nobody understands what their deal actually is you know Mm -hmm. yeah you you mean in the mining town no one understands what's going on in the colony Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. for sure um and yeah and, and you know nolan nolan goes nolan is a complete and total 
outsider in this town. Like their their family uh, is the one that's like working to close the mines. And uh, it, what's kind of nice also about the show is that you do you have Nolan who represents that side, but then you also have Tasha, whose whose dad is very ingrained in this mining culture. Yet here in the center of our trio are two people who are on opposite sides of this argument, who are the best of friends. And I also think that that is important to show and talk about. So I'm glad that you you picked up on that and um, caught you know that sort of theme and and all of that as well. Yeah. No. I mean just the, the humanity in every character like even god that bully character who can be so so hard to watch because he is just so cruel and awful but in those episodes we we saw like you do get those glimpses of genuine human pain and frustration underneath where it's like even the character that contemptible is still well-rounded yeah i and i think that uh, in addition to what everybody just said i think that that is the definition of a, a societal and class conversation which is that it everybody has a hardship and everybody feels sometimes on the outside of society because of that hardship and yes some people are like you said contemptible in the way that they act but usually it's for a reason and his pain is real because the reason is real which is that his livelihood his town his family is in danger yeah and i i thought it was incredible as well looking at Carrie, I mean, we, there's a lot of people dealing with various, um, you know, mental stresses and issues in this, but Carrie uh, is, you know, is our badass main character and they're also disabled, which is like, it, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty incredible place to start. You know, she's, uh, she's missing a hand, which was really, was really cool to me going in because I think a lot of times when shows like this think about like, oh, we're going to deal with the big issues of like, race and gender and they totally forget about things like disability mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and no, and not for nothing what you know what's funny is i uh, and i consider myself a very aware person but like literally until this moment talking with y'all nobody has brought up to me that they view Carrie as differently abled because yeah. I've always seen Carrie as the strongest individual in the show, which yeah. it, it, in holistically having that moment in front of y'all just now, that's magical because <laughs> people will see her as sure somebody that in an appendage way is differently abled, but in so many other ways, she's a superhuman. And yeah. that, yeah. yeah, Jasmine, we made a really cool show. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all really did. You sure did. You really did. (laughs) To add on to that, uh, Misha, uh, one of the things that I like about Carrie, and because Carrie in the past does have both of her arms, but Carrie in the present does not have one of her arms, but the Carrie in the past is significantly weaker than mm-hmm. the carry in the present. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of times when you have, um, when someone wants to approach a conversation about disability, especially when it comes to someone who experiences a disability, they make the character weaker and have to like figure out how to get back to whatever it was they felt like they were before. But what mm-hmm. I like about Girl in the Woods is <laughs> you just sort of like, <laughs> you skip that Carrie is who she was in the past and she's definitely weaker and now in the present uh she is much better off even though she has had this traumatic experience it didn't make her any less than what she was before in fact it made her even better which I think is important as well mm-hmm. yeah the the depiction of Carrie is pretty groundbreaking for me because you have a lot of these I these characters that you have um when you talk about the the cults and the outside societies and stuff like that the a lot of these characters will fall into the trope of being uh, naive or helpless or um and she is incredibly adaptable which i think is also very important for her being a, a very relatable very uh strong protagonist because she is she's not different really than any of the other characters in terms of who she is and how much of a person she is you know the it's it's interesting because at certain points i'm like is this is this a cult or is this a farm you know and then they start doing like staff fighting and with their cool midsummer hats and i'm like okay yeah mm -hmm." (laughs) Um, it does seem kind of farm-like until they start uh beating teens with sticks and yeah. drinking yeah. blood well, from goblets. I live in Sonoma <laughs> County. I drink blood every day. I mean, yeah. demon, I mean, demon hunting Amish Spartans? 
I'm into it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was, and especially because you have a lot of, a lot of cult fascination and I think exoticism with cults um, these days with a lot of the true crime and the, the context of horror cults and horror and things like that. And it was just, it was nice to see these, you know, as much as there were problematic elements within that community, they were very humanized and very sympathetic and very real. Oh yeah. And I mean, like um, Will, Will Yun Lee is amazing in this show. Yeah. Uh, Will Young like, Lee is fantastic. fantastic. And terrifying. Yes. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't meet him. Like I didn't meet him, not even until the first day I shot with him, but I didn't meet him until he was at the door for the scene to scare the living shit out of Tasha <laughs> and me. And you know, as a scene, as an actor, you prepare and oh, I'm meant to be very scared by this person. So I'm going to open the oh my God, he's scary. Like <laughs> It's just terrifying. <laughs> it's so that... wild the the turn that I feel like I as an audience member took of him because like that first that first episode you're so prepared for this to be like the bad guy and yeah. within a few episodes you're like oh I kind of like him like he's he's the <laughs> yeah. good guy out of the bad guys I guess like you know he's he's the guy that you're like he is trying to kill her but he is also the guy i would want at my back like if you know i was yeah, in her it's, position it's very clear that even that even in his villainous actions it's coming from a place where he is a real victim which i thought was just just so well done uh misha if able to without going into too much spoilers was there any particular scene or moment that was a particular standout or fun one to do <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a moment that's actually in the trailer um, when uh, the line is this is so metal or if you're just imagine a few more curse words in there for some spoilers um, oh, yeah. but, <laughs> oh I love that like, it was it was one of those moments where of course you know Nolan and uh, Nolan struggles with mental health and struggles with you know addiction and gender identity and all that stuff but it was a fun moment where, you know, sort of spoiler, there might be some drugs involved. We got to, I got to meet one of the, in, in the, in the show, I got to meet one of the monsters and I'm may or may not be on drugs and things are happening around me. There's a, there's a leaf blower in my face making wind happen. (laughs) And it was just, it was one of those set magic moments where I felt like I was in a fantasy series because the fantasy was literally happening around me in so many ways. So it was, fun to make and I from what I've seen of it very fun to watch so yeah I love that it scene it is very fun so. to watch can, yeah. can confirm <laughs> um, but. I talk about this show having teeth and having like the 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 kind of stuff that a lot of these the the young adult fiction and horror shows from the past don't have and I think I, I want to clarify that it was the drug moment and the swearing, of course, but like the because yeah. dr- <laughs> we can look at guts, but we can't say the swears, right? Um, or look yeah. at a nipple or anything. But you know, right. that's that's a whole other. We'll episode. get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you're saying you're you're making me promises here. Like we get I, to see I, nipples. I I, I, like this. <laughs> I don't think we get to see. This nipples. is not. There's no. There's no promises <laughs> made here. I will have a conversation <laughs> with Peacock season two. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we can get at least one nipple. Um, But uh, (laughs) I lost my train of thought. Out of all the things you could ask for in a season two, we're going to prioritize getting at least one and a half nipples. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Keep them intact. Her monster. (laughs) Yeah, only monster nipples, please. Yeah, the, no, the that, that caught me that, the most off guard was the mention of of Nolan's computer full of lesbian porn. Um, I was like, oh, I didn't expect for that line to just come out. Right. Never, never make assumptions about anybody. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, well, that, that's that Nolan. Yes. <laughs> And that part didn't surprise me. That part didn't surprise me. I just didn't expect what it to I be had said questions about. What I show. had questions about was what was the sequence of events that led to Tasha knowing that. <laughs> this is the point. Yeah. Well, when when you are very, de- I, I don't know, but when you are very dear friends with somebody, I would imagine that sometimes you know you Google something on their laptop, you're looking for something uh, benign, and then all of a sudden, oh shit, there's a lot of lesbian porn in here. <laughs> Nolan yeah. got Nolan got be they gotta be using them incognito windows. 
Well, maybe, yes, well. <laughs> maybe Nolan's uh, interest sparked something in Tasha. Yeah, maybe they, they watched a little of it together. You can yeah, that's true. Like that's true. You know. Jasmine! <laughs> like, like good friends do. Hey, I mean, Jasmine at TVMA. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I apologize, I for, guys I apologize have, for going down that tangent. No, no, no. It's fine. I, know, that was, that was I don't fine. apologize. I me. actually love every single thing that has come out of this conversation again like Excellent. it's so nice to be able to 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 talk with people who haven't just been so ingrained in the show because you read the script so much you talk with the actors you talk with the directors you talk with every single department and you you get so ingrained in what's uh on the page and then you watch the cut so many times and you sort of hope that things are able to translate over to the audience so to see and hear you guys saying that you picked up on all of these things, which every little thing was talked about. Um, and it all is there for a reason. <laughs> it just, you know, it, it makes us so, makes us so happy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, well, for talking to us about it. Cause I mean, we just want to gush, but we don't have any, we can't talk to anybody about no, it yeah. right now. So <laughs> now I got it. Now we got to figure out how to get through the wait until October 21st. For the listeners, home, will the episodes be releasing all at once or is it a weekly schedule? Yes. So if you have Peacock and you pay for a subscription, you will be able to see all of the episodes at one time. If not, if you're not, you will still get to see them eventually, but you'll have to wait a little bit. And hopefully from this conversation, you will understand that you don't want to wait to know what happens. You're going to want to gobble this all up. Yeah, pretty, you really don't. Pretty quickly. <laughs> If you've been on the fence about it, this is a, this is a great show to pull the trigger on that subscription. Yeah. Please do it. Do it. Do it. Now, Absolutely. do either of you have any favorite, any favorites in the horror genre or horror adjacent genres that have been influential, especially influential? Yeah, anything you'd like to recommend to people? Um, I can go first. I always say, and we can debate whether or not you want to classify this as a horror movie. But my favorite horror movie, and really probably one of my top three favorite movies, uh, is The Terminator. Terminator 1, I know everybody loves Terminator 2. I'm talking about Terminator 1. Um, yes. Terminator 1, absolutely a horror movie. Yeah, horror without movie a doubt. for sure. Yes. I've had people debate me on that, and I really feel like it's uh, a slasher, uh, for sure. That movie I saw way later than a lot of people did. I want to say I saw that movie like maybe seven years ago. Um, and it's been out for a minute. But when I saw that movie, let me tell you, I was like, this, I always ask questions to writers and directors that I talk to. And I'm like, what's the thing that's out there that you wish like you could make that is really sort of indicative of what you are going to put out there in the future. And when I saw Terminator, I was like, this. <laughs> I feel like that would be a wild movie to watch now. It'd just be like, is that my governor naked on the screen? Like, <laughs> real i came into horror a little bit late and sometimes i have trouble with some of the older movies especially because i think that uh production wise sometimes we've so you know elevated a bit in what we're able to do and that can pull me out of it a little bit oh we, but... we just recently watched the first friday the 13th and <laughs> that's not a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but like terminator i just I, I didn't care it was it was just so good and everything that i wanted to make so uh terminator for me Mm. Um, I uh, I really need to stop using this example, but I mean it when I say it's very impactful for me. Jennifer's body means the world to me, mm. as like especially. I mean, Perfect there's answer. so many right. I mean, there, there there's so many reasons why that film was incredible, and there's so many reasons to talk about it because it was so before its time and got shot on for all the wrong reasons, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, Jennifer's but... body was the very first episode we did of this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yes. great! And it was a revelation. As, as it should be. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I, for me, I'm learning that the reason I keep coming back to that film when I talk about it is because of the many ways that femininity and femness and femme power is expressed. That's not something that I got to play with, experience. It was something that was shut off from me by a very conservative upbringing when I was younger. And now it's something that brings me a lot of joy. So Jennifer's body and the femness of that film and uh, uh, mean the world to me and because it was expressed through genre it has that that much more bite because it's like a horror version of what femininity can do of literal bite okay. sure so bite, yeah yeah pun intended 100 
<laughs> uh, great, great answer. Well, before we uh, wrap this up, do you all want to let people know where they can find out more about both yourselves and the show online if, if they want to uh, follow you, find out what, I, what you're up to? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm at Misha Osharovich on all the socials. I always say this, social media is fake. It is a place where things are very curated, <laughs> but I try to put some real love into it as everybody should um and then jasmine do you want to tell them where they can find girl in the wood stuff yeah um so if you want to look up at crypt tv and at get woods g-i-t woods um you will find content about girl in the woods we sometimes will post behind the scenes uh videos and photos and things like that if a trailer drops or whatever is going on you will hear about it and then also make sure that you go to at peacock tv uh check those out and (laughs) you can if you like uh check me out my Instagram handle and Twitter handle is at jazzfacekilla. And I also like to throw little things in here and there about the show. So at Peacock TV, at Crypt TV, at Get Woods, and then maybe check me out. Give me a shout once you watch the show and let me know what you thought. Jasmine also wins best handle at like Space Killer. It was like- <laughs> oh, incredible handle. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. A plus. Right. Yeah. And, and you. you mentioned Crypt TV in there. Obviously, like, People listening to this have probably heard of Peacock. They might not have heard of Crypt, and they definitely should because there's lots of like great, unusual short horror and stuff there. I know uh, you all had a Gigi Saul Guerrero recently did a, a short film over there. There's a lot of like yeah. really cool original stuff there that you might not find on your your regular networks. Please check out our YouTube. <laughs> check out Facebook. Uh, check out our content. Uh, leave comments. <laughs> hopefully nice ones <laughs> but, um, right. yes. there's a there's a lot of stuff to mine um like I said when I first started at Crypt we did a lot of shorts and just like putting out a lot of very cool shorts with very talented filmmakers Gigi included like you mentioned uh and I think that that stuff should be seen just to celebrate like all the hard-working writers and directors who maybe don't have like a studio film out yet um Gigi though is killing it but uh you know check out their work and let us know what you think uh it's at the very least fun it's a fun way to spend an afternoon (laughs) thank you so much for this wonderful conversation yes this was awesome thank you for coming to speak with us and thank you all for for introducing us to this wonderful new program and i'm really excited i'm going to share it with all my friends i recommend it to the um the young queer people i know and uh because i know that they'll love it so Yay. Thanks for having us, y'all. Of course. It was a pleasure. Everybody listening, definitely go check out Girl in the Woods on Peacock right now, right away. Go do it now. The day this is coming out will be the day that the the show itself has dropped. So if you subscribe, you can go watch the whole season right now. And well, it's, it's been a great pleasure. And until next time, everybody stay horrified. Aggressively Horrified was created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode features Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, Misho Sherevich, and Jasmine Johnson. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinions of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com.